There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. One-point game. Walton can tip it. Bryant with the save. Oh, you got to get a shot here. Final seconds. Bryant for the win. That was the great Mike Breen, the voice of the NBA on ESPN and ABC, with his signature call describing a game winner in the playoffs against the Suns by the late Kobe Bryant. And since Mike and Mike was already taken, today we present Wisey and Breeny on the Mike Wise Show. Darlene, do your bang! I mean, do your thing. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? That's right, Darlene. I'm very excited to be joined by today's guest. Mike Breen is quite simply a Hall of Famer, literally. It was recently announced that he would be inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame this September, along with fellow ESPN legend Michael Wilbon. They'll be co-recipients of the Kurt Gowdy Media Award. And in the world of basketball, there is no higher honor. I've been to a lot of those ceremonies for Aldridge, shoot for Harvey Ayrton. Mike, welcome and congratulations. Well, Mike, thanks. Thanks for having me on. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Mike Wilbon. It was it was such an honor just to, to get the uh, get the word about the award, but to be able to go in with somebody like Michael. And you mentioned Harvey and and others. I have so many great friends that I have such respect for that have been in. So it's, uh, it's a privilege to join their club. Well, your whole family, I'm sure, will be up there. It'll be an incredible, uh, it'll be, it'll be an incredible Hall of Fame induction. Of course, I got to think now because they've the, the year, the years you needed to be out of the game has changed. Kobe Bryant will posthumously go into the Hall of Fame. And I can't imagine, other than the memorial service, there being a more emotional weekend until then. No question, Mike. It's um, it's going to be the emotional Hall of Fame induction ceremony ever because of all the circumstances. I mean, anybody who's been around basketball and certainly anybody that, that covered and, and got to know Kobe, uh, it's still in many ways hard to grasp. Uh, the ceremony that they had at the Staples Center was just beautiful. Uh, the various people who spoke spoke from the heart, and um, you know, I thought Doc Rivers um, talked about it very well that night because the Clippers played the same night as the ceremony yeah. at Staples Center, and he was saying how the the ceremony brought so many different people together, so many people that hadn't seen each other for a long time, and um, that was it was a wonderful part of it, but just. A very moving and uh, still very difficult afternoon. You, I know you, Jeff, Mark, um, the broadcast crew. You spent a lot of time with Kobe. I, I'm trying. I'm thinking back to all the the pre-interviews for big playoff series or games, finals, and you and you you sit down and talk to him not just about you know what they need to do to win a, a championship, but also who they are as people and. Well, you probably, I don't know how much you socialize with him. I know Jeff really liked him as a person. Bottom line is, 
there is a there is a relationship there. No, no doubt, Mike. It's it's one of the the privileges of the job and uh, players you get to know and and you know because he was such a star that we would always request him and you know he really grew as 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 time went on you know from early Kobe to late Kobe like all of us I mean just just matures the thing that I remember the most and this is when I was doing games with Jeff and Mark when I would do games with uh, UB Brown or Doug Collins is how smart he just wanted to talk about basketball, the intricacies of basketball, and pick the brains of these coaches and go back and forth on different strategies and why he thought something worked. And I would just sit back there and marvel. Him and Jeff and Mark had, had great conversations. Mm. Uh, him and Doug going back and forth in UB2, and he would, he would pick their brains on certain things. It was, um, you know, it was such an education and you got a real, you got a real taste of, um, of you know how mm-hmm. insatiable he was to learn more in any way that can help him be better. Because uh, as you, you know, as you know, Mike, he was he was mm-hmm. as competitive as anybody who's ever played sports. I'm I'm amazed, and I don't I'm not going to judge anybody for it because it affected me too, but not to the level of some people. I mean, Tom Brady writes this touching tribute on. Instagram today that I was just I couldn't believe Tom Brady you know had all these feelings in him that he wanted to share uh, certainly I can't remember covering dozens of Michael Jordan press conferences and games him ever breaking down and crying publicly like that I, and the basketball part of Kobe we all knew it's this it's this other part I you know I kind of knew that he was becoming this great dad and all these things but but the, the stories behind the scenes where he wouldn't let PR people even go with him to go help children in hospitals and he didn't want anybody to see him. They're all coming out now. I mean, this guy, he's he's as impactful an athlete that I can think of in my lifetime dying. Um, you know, maybe Muhammad Ali, of course, Muhammad Ali, Arthur Ashe. I don't think Kobe was in that, you know, social conscience renaissance but he impacted so many people. It, was, it feels like Princess Diana died or something over here. I was blown away, Mike. Um, you know, first by the initial reaction. Um, I was in New York that that day. We had uh, I had a Nick game that night on on MSG Network, and I was blown away by by the way people reacted to it, um, and so many people that didn't know him, but what he represented it to them. And then later in the week, uh, when I travel out to Los Angeles for the first Laker home game afterwards, and we did the broadcast that night, um, I remember walking out from my hotel to that area outside Staples Center where all the cards were and all the pictures, and there were basketball. There were hundreds and hundreds of basketballs, and and, and often some of them were, there was a, an adult basketball and a kid-sized basketball, as opposed for Kobe and for his daughter. Uh, there were mm. sets of sneakers there. There were an adult sets of sneakers and a child sneaker. It was it was unbelievable, uh, the various objects that people left. And I went around. For, I spent a, about an hour there one day, just trying to read some of the cards. And these weren't, um, you know, go Kobe, we love you, uh, in our hearts forever, rest in peace. These were crafted. I mean, real thought went into so many of these these various. Um, pieces of paper that were there talking about what he meant to them, what he meant to their community, what he meant to their family. I, I was I was overwhelmed by the, the various um, deep, deep thoughts that went into these things and, and how much care and how much 
how much thought went into each particular one. Uh, so I, I agree with you. I, you know, we all knew what he meant. He was this charismatic superstar who, who had this unbelievable talent, and he had that smile and the charisma about him. But it was so much more than I think a lot of us expected. Mike Breen, as everybody knows, is the uh, basically the lead play-by-play guy for the NBA on ABC and ESPN, lead announcer for the New York Knicks games for many years. And shoot, I want to say not only the uh, at one point you were doing play-by-play stuff for the New York Giants preseason games, right? Yeah, I did football for a few years back in the in the late was, 90s, early 2000s, and and uh, but that's that's a long time ago. My hair was dark back then. Well, yeah, and you've you've just become you've become the voice of the NBA, much like Marv was for many years on NBC. And I think to myself, I and I'm not blowing smoke here. You're you you're as gracious as marvelous in many ways, and that you would you wouldn't know that you've achieved um, the the professional, uh, I guess you know the, the professional milestones you have. Because you seem you still have a common man's touch, and I don't. I think that's rare in in this business in some ways. Well, first off, thank you so much for those kind words, Mike. Uh, you and I, we we go a long way back. We started kind of covering the NBA together way yeah. back in the in the early '90s, and you know the way I look at it, uh, when somebody says the voice of the NBA, I don't. I, I never look at it that way because, you know, I, I know for many fans across the country, the voice of the NBA is is who their local announcer is. For example, here in New York for Brooklyn, the voice of the NBA is Ian Eagle. In, in Boston, the voice of the NBA mm-hmm. is is Mike Gorman. Uh, Chick Hearn was the voice of the NBA for, for Laker fans for years. So there's so many talented play-by-play guys, both that just cover their teams and then the rest of us who, who do national games, whether it's you know Marv still on TNT, Kevin Harlan, who's, who's so incredibly talented, and then... Uh, my coworkers like like Mark Jones and Dave Pash and Ryan Rucco. There's there's a lot of voices of the NBA that 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 people love. I just I, and I don't say this in in any kind of false humility. I, to me, it's just it's an honor and a privilege to call games, whether I'm calling local games for the Knicks in New York or, or doing a national broadcast. Well, Mike Breen is uh, you're, you're New York through and through, uh, Yonkers native. You're Knicks fan, uh, and you know you've been the voice of the team since 2004. I, I think even though you've you've maintained some professional distance, it must kill you inside personally that that, that franchise hasn't gotten over the hump in a way that really make like makes you feel like when we started covering when they they always had a chance they were always in the hunt and there was always a belief that if Jordan was going to win it shoot they still believed they could do it. Well, the thing I always think about, Mike, is is I so want the team to be a championship contender for the fans. Um, you know, I, maybe because I'm from New York and, and grew up a Nick fan, uh, I'm not as the most objective on this, but Nick fans are as loyal uh, as any fan base in America in any sport. And they're so loyal and so passionate and so knowledgeable. They so deserve to have a team that they can root for. And I, I see it too, like on and even years, whether it's last year or the year before, you know, team obviously way out of it, having a rough season. And there's a game in April that's a close game. It's a two-point game with five minutes to go in the fourth quarter, and the place is going crazy, just crazy. It's like it's a playoff game. 
Uh, the building still has this special atmosphere. So you just hope that, that one of these years, uh, currently they're trying to, they're changing the, in the front office that, uh, that they get back to being, you know, one of the best teams in the NBA because the fans deserve it. And uh, it's always good for the league when, when, uh, when New York is good. And I, I think a lot of people feel that way as well. So, you know, I still love every night sitting down courtside at Madison Square Garden because you never know what's going to happen. And, uh, again, I just, you just hope that they can turn it around and get back to prominence. It is amazing. Like the building still has a magic that you can't explain unless you're beneath that pinwheel ceiling and you go, wow, this is, it's still the garden. And it doesn't matter who's playing, who's got, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's, I, I totally get it. It still has that throaty roar. I just, I mean, being, having covered that team for so many years, I, I just yearn for them to be great again. Just yearn for them to be great again. Yeah. Not just I, for the league's sake, but, you know, just, to, this is a fan at this point. Exactly. I mean, I, you know, again, all friends and family and, and all the, the various fans I've met over the years at the Garden, it's like they, they, they so deserve it. Yeah. Um, if anybody doesn't know, Mike Breen was raised in Yonkers. He attended St. Paul the Apostle Catholic Grammar School and I believe is a 79 graduate of Salesian High School. Is that correct? That's correct. Salesian well, High in New Rochelle, coached by uh, the great brother Jim Wiegand. I, lo I owe a lot of my basketball knowledge to my high school coach, who was um, just a, a brilliant man in terms of basketball and, and a man of great faith, who um, I actually talked to just a couple of days, days ago, checked in with him, oh, that's and, great. and he's, still doing, he's still doing really well. Does, um, uh, did you ever play at Fordham? I know you graduated from there in 83, but did you ever play there? No, I, I, there's, I do have a story, though. I wanted to see if I could walk on. Yeah, I could because I remember playing against you. You were a, you were like that tough CYO kid that wouldn't give a quarter. Well, I, you know? I like to shoot, and and I was a good free throw shooter, but I didn't have the size or the strength yeah. to compete on the college level. But I did want to I did want to walk on. And Tom Penders was the coach at Fordham at the time, That's right. so I went up and and the players were working out. All the guys on scholarship were working out before at, at the gym, and you know I tried to get involved in some of those. And I went to see Penders and asked him. And he actually gave me a great bit of advice. He said, listen, he goes, I could, I could have you come try out. He says, but you couldn't, he goes, I couldn't pick you unless you were going to be in the rotation. He goes, you might be one of the best 15 guys, but if you weren't going to play, he goes, I can't cut a guy on scholarship for somebody who's going to sit on the bench. He said, so you go, and it was great advice because it made me think, okay, let's, let's put that dream aside, get it out of the way and just go concentrate on working at the college radio station and, and trying to learn how to broadcast. And it, it turned out to be great advice. I, I love those fork in the road moments. Is there any other in your career that really come to mind where you, you could have gone this way or you went that way? And um, I mean, of course, when Marv became the Nets announcer and you took over the Knicks, which I imagine was a lifelong, if not dream, an honor. Um, I that's got to be one. But I'm, any anything else that really stands out in Mike Green's life, you know, you had that fork in the road moment. Well, you, you're right, Mike. We all have them. Mine happened pretty early. Um, when I get out of college, I, I remember saying to myself, I was going to give myself five years uh, before I could, um, you know, I'd give five years a chance. If at five years I wasn't satisfied with my progress. I would become a steam fitter. My my father was a steam fitter in the local union, and uh, that's what I was going to do. So I, I got a job in Poughkeepsie working at a small radio station, and um, I was doing mostly news. And, you know, to start off, it was perfect. I was on the air reporting on 
the Poughkeepsie school board meeting and stuff like that. I was doing the morning anchor news, and it was going well. But after a couple of years, I you know was making absolutely no money. I didn't feel like I was making any ground. And then all of a sudden, the Villanova basketball job became open, and I applied for that, and I found that I was one of the finalists. But then I got the big letter that said I did not make it, that they decided on the other guy. And I was so depressed about it. This was about two and a half years after college. I called my father. Did the the letter come from Raleigh, Massimino? (laughs) No, no, no. But I called my dad and I said, send send me the Steamfitters application. I think I've had about enough of this. Oh, wow. You were going to you were going to go into the nine to five day labor. I, I was going to. And, and my father had known about that. He's like, you sure? He goes, I ah, can give it a little bit more time. And so I decided, all right, let me I, I did say five years. It's only been half that. Let me give it a little more time. And fortunately, within the next couple of months, um, I got a part time job working in the city for WNBC radio as a producer when they went when they went back to sports talk at night. And uh, that kind of that really changed everything. So that was the uh, that was the big fork in the road. I love that your dad sort of encouraged you. Say you're not quite ready for that. Just give it a little more chance. I like I look back on that, and that must have been something that you're really thankful for in hindsight. Oh, absolutely. Because it's you know back then you just uh, you're so you just have no idea what's going to happen. You don't really have confidence, and you just. Um, you know, you're worried about where your career is going to go. So it was a that was a, a tenuous moment for me. Were you nervous replacing Marv with the Knicks, or was that sort of a fait accompli because you'd done so many games? Already? No, you, you, if you're not nervous, um, and replace is the wrong word. Uh, following is is the is the better way to put it because, yeah, you know, for all of us, um, Marv was and still is the standard for basketball play-by-play. He's the the greatest basketball play-by-play voice of all time. And, you know, all of us looked up to him. All of us, you know, took things from from how he did it and his approach. And for many of us, he's one of the reasons why we went into it. So, so yes, I was. But I also knew that, that, you know, I, I couldn't try and be like Marv. I couldn't try and replace him. He was too much of an icon. But I, I will tell this story. It was a couple of, I'm going to say a week before the first game, and I got a note in the mail, and uh, it was from Marv. And the note was, hey, congratulations. Uh, I know you're going to do great. Uh, I'm so sorry. And then he made a joke, as he always does. I'm so sorry you have to work with John Andres, his, <laughs> his longtime partner. Yeah, and for, you know, for somebody in my position who was – you know, so had so much anxiety about coming in that year to get that note from him uh, meant a great deal. Oh, that's such a great note. Uh, Johnny Hoops, he was what a you know what a tremendous guy. I mean, the encyclopedic knowledge he had in his brain about basketball, especially especially old New York basketball too. It was incredible. Yep, he's a uh, Gowdy. He was a Gowdy Award winner too. John passed away a couple of years ago, and and yeah. um, you know I think the way he brought basketball to Nick fans. He knew so much about the game, but he, he never talked down to the viewer. He didn't try and impress the viewer with, oh, I know this strategy, or I know. He, he talked to them in simple terms to help them teach the game. He, he just he was a, a, just a magnificent broadcaster. Did you, um, w- when, when you started with Mark Jackson, did you, uh, did you ever have that sort of, hey, does this guy know enough about the game? Or did you knew Mark beforehand, right? Oh, yeah. Well, 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 Mark was on the Knicks. Uh, oh, what am I thinking? Yeah. When I was broadcasting, and we got to know each other then, and you just, 
you know, you talk to him for a couple of minutes and, and, you know, you see how he sees the game so differently than most. He just, he's been a point guard his whole life and just, you know, he's just able to see things. And that's what made, you know, for me now to work with Mark and Jeff, and Jeff was an assistant coach with the Knicks when I started radio. I, I learned probably more from basketball from those two guys than anybody just from over the years of, of hearing them talk and picking their brains and it, um, it's been really one of the joys of the job. And when you have somebody that you've been friends with that long, and now you're on the air with them, it really de- makes a difference to, to know somebody so well and be able to say anything on the air or off the air. It's, uh, it's been really one of the things I've treasured in my, in my job and that, at having that kind of relationship with these guys this long term and now to be doing all these games with them is, uh, is just unbelievable. It's, it was it was one of the highlights of my sports writing career and my, and, and I thought to myself, uh, you know, even all these years later, Katie Baker from at the time Deadspin before they folded it, she calls me up one day and she says, Hey, can, I'm doing a Nick's oral history of the nineties. And I'm like, what? Like did people really kid there. And he goes, no, no, that was a glorious time. And I go, well, they never did it, but, but God, what a, what a time it was. I mean, the drama was, it just seemed like everything was, I remember talking about fork in the road. Like, remember the Miami game, game five in Miami? I think it would have been 99, first round. And um, and when game five was the elimination game. And and Allen Houston sinks that shot. And and all of a sudden, the, the whole tenor of the season changes. And I remember Jeff years later saying, you know, I probably would have been on somebody's assistant staff. I might have went to become a college coach. Who knows? I was probably gone after that if he didn't make that shot. But he goes, but the difference is, Make or miss. I wasn't going to be a better coach. It was just a make or miss thing. Like the, that was a fork in the road for me. I mean, that ball falling in. It, it's amazing how one shot, whether it goes in or doesn't, can change so many different people's lives. And that's just not the Knicks. Yeah. It's you know you can. There's so many examples of it. You know, we're talking NBA. It's in other sports too, but. You know, one play can can change a narrative on a person's career, can change the course of a career, and it's not just one. It's always always filters down to so many other people, and that's why sometimes, and I, I'm with Jeff on this, where you know sometimes we define somebody their greatness by how many championships they've won, and and certainly that that that's a part of it, but it's not the only story. There, there's so many that just fell one shot short or or, you know, one strike short that, that makes a difference between the being a champion and not. And is that because of that one particular play? Does that mean they're not championship caliber? Uh, I think sometimes we get a little crazy uh, when there are instances like that, that that happen so often. You know Steve Buckhans a little, right? Oh, the Buck and I are good buddies. And uh, oh. that was one of the... the the Washington uh, organization, the Wizards, made a major mistake. The, the new announcer, Justin Kutcher, is a wonderful young play-by-play guy, but uh, but Steve Buckhans was beloved there in D.C., and uh, yeah, he, he's, really he was one of my favorite announcers. Well, the one thing I loved about him, it, and there was a little Breeny in him, I think, too, he, he knew the ru- NBA rules better than almost every ref. I feel like that's you, Breen. I mean, Mike, when, you, when, you, when you're out there, when you're announcing the game, you you know exactly uh, exactly the play and the call before they even come to the table. Well, I I did I refed that's thank you for that. Uh, but it's something I've tried to learn, and there's two reasons for that. Number one, because I refed when I got out of college. Um, actually, when I got out of high school, I, I refed up to the junior college level. I did it for about seven years overall, and 
So I, I had a passion for that part of the sport. But the other one was one of the first jobs I had as a play-by-play guy. I did some college, local college football games with Dave Jennings, the late Dave Jennings, who was, you know, the all-pro punter for the yeah. Giants and for the Jets. And Dave knew the football rules so well when he was a broadcaster. Any anybody who who listened to him when he did the games knew that. And it just struck me. And he even I remember asking him about it. And he said, he says, how can any announcer go on the air? about the sport they're covering and not know the rules. He goes, I just, he said, I'm flabbergasted that people don't know it. And it, it really made an impression on me and made me say that I have to learn the rules. That's excellent. I, I, I didn't know it at all. Catches, puts up a three. Won't go. Rebound, Bosch. Back out to Allen. History final. Bang! Tie game with five seconds remaining. I, I still remember the Ray Allen call and people will that Ray Allen will remember that for the rest of his life as well bang and he hits that shot i mean they had the they had the velvet ropes out the, the the ceremony was san antonio's and all of a sudden everything changed i think to myself you know i guess it was the genesis of the bang call and how you deploy it uh it, it's not it's not a great story it's just it was when I was in college and doing the Fordham games on the radio, um, and when I, you know, there was about, oh, 10 or 12 of us who would rotate calling the games. And when we weren't calling the games, we were in the stands rooting for Fordham, you know, like you root for your college team. And when I was in the stands rooting for it and, and a Fordham player hit a, hit a long distance shot, I would yell out bang as a fan, you know, going crazy as a college kid. And I thought, ah, let me try it on the air. And I tried it on the air a couple of times when I was a student, and it and it didn't really, I, I didn't think it really worked, maybe because I thought on radio it didn't work. But then when I started doing a couple of TV games very early in my career, I was doing high school games, I tried it again, and I kind of liked it. And the the reason I liked it was because, you know, when a big shot is made and the crowd's going crazy, it's not easy for an announcer to raise his voice above the crowd and I don't have one of those those booming voices like some of the great voices of the past. So to me, it was a great way to, to capture the moment and then get out of the way and let the crowd take over rather than try and talk over the crowd because that's when a voice starts to crack or uh, then it just doesn't sound right. So to me, it was, it was, a, it was a good, concise way to make a, a moment dramatic and then letting the, the crowd noise and the, and the excitement take over. So, so Mike, you're telling me that that back there's probably some tapes of Fordham basketball where who knows David Maxwell or Mike Cooper had <laughs> had the words bang yelled out and they they have no idea that they've got gold somewhere in this vault <laughs> at Fordham. I, I love the fact that you remember those names. David Maxwell who played at at Power Memorial uh, in New York City. Uh, they had a couple of long distance shooters that. That Jerry Hobby and Mark Murphy and Tony McIntosh, those were the, a lot of the guys that, that, that shot the long distance. Before I haven't I haven't thought uh, thought of some of those names in a while. That was those were Tom Pender's teams. That's right. Yeah, no, back in the day, uh, I know I loved it. And I did you the one of the things in the memorial service that I loved yesterday was when I watched um, when I watched the uh, after the Ave Maria by Christine, Christine Aguilera. They put up the documentary, the short documentary. Now, I think I'd seen parts of it. I never watched the full five minutes and 22 seconds. I think, I mean, I was welling up a couple times during the ceremony. That thing made me lose it. Your your voice is in that at the very beginning. 
Yeah, and in fact, I I, uh, I kidded Kobe about it because you know he won the Oscar, and I, one of the last times I, I'd seen him, I'd said something to the effect of, "Hey, where's where's my Oscar? I, wasn't I a part of it? Doesn't don't all the people part of it? You know, just kidding around. It was an honor to be a part of it because, um, you know, when you when you watch it, you see it really is a love affair, and that's going back to what we talked about earlier, Mike. And I think one of the reasons why people um, were so attached to him and and became he became so beloved because yes he was talented yes he was this this mega celebrity and this this all world star but he 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 did it because of his love for the game and I think mm-hmm. that's why people really really went with him because he had this tremendous love and would be willing to do anything to make his love of this game better you know that's where the work ethic came from and and that's what I thought the you know the many uh, uh, the short animated film is uh, is oh. classic in that it really shows you how much he cared so much about just playing the game. I just felt when I watched it, I mean, I lost I lost tears, and I thought at the end of it, I I thought yeah, uh, you know, it, it almost in a in a haunting way, it almost felt like a memorial for someone. Of course, yeah, it'd been great if that happened in 50 years from now. I, it's still like you said, surreal that we lost him so young. It's crazy. Yes, and as and some of the guys have have said uh, and was alluded to during the, the service, it's um, what makes it so hard. Obviously, is because of the young lives that were lost, and just from from Kobe's standpoint, he he really never. I, I, everybody said the same thing. He he just never seemed more at ease and at peace with himself, and never more happy in his life uh, than he was in the last couple of years. And that's that's you know you see him like that. At basketball games with his daughter, or working with the kids uh, at his uh, his academy, and that's that's what makes you know it's just it's it's painful when you look at it that way. Yeah, I, I um I'll leave that Mike Breen with this. He probably doesn't remember it, but it, it was it was a moment in our relationship where I realized what kind of person he was. I don't you probably don't remember this. You were talking to Patrick Ewing in the Madison Square Garden locker room. And you're having this great in depth conversation with him, and me me being you know, California Flake wants to break the ice, try to get to Ewing. I, I, I have this throwaway line like, hey, hey, Patrick, Breen's going to tell you what he what, what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. And and you came up to me after that, after we were goes, he goes, hey, did you mean that? Did you? And I'm like, no. And it was all of a sudden like it bothered you. And the fact that you let me know that it bothered you, I don't know. I just, from that day forward, I was like, you know what? This guy's not only... Uh, a great announcer. He's not a regular human being, but he's a stand-up person. That he would let me know that that bothered him, and it always made me think like I could be throw, I could have a throwaway line about anybody, and 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 it's something that you know whether it's snarky sarcasm, I don't need it to just have a regular conversation with a person. And so, I don't know. From me to you, you you taught me a lesson that day, and I, I want to thank you for that. Well, I actually do remember. I don't remember the exact thing, but I remember that my sometimes one of my flaws is. I, I'm sometimes have trouble keeping things in, but no, it was all, I mean, you were just making a joke and we were, you know, we're colleagues there. Uh, but if, you know, that's Maybe nice of you to say, I do remember, you know, Patrick, when I first started, Patrick was, he was a hard guy to break in terms of gaining his trust. And it took me a while before I got there. Um, and I rightfully so. I, I'd feel the same way if I was a player. To me, it'd be hard to, you know, to really open up and trust people that you don't know that that could write or talk about you. 
but I think, as you know, too, once once you got past that with him, um, he was really a wonderful, wonderful oh. man. And, and I, I am so thrilled by the, the type of leader he's become as a, as a head coach now. Oh, it's great to see him. I love being in the same town that I could just go down, down take a 20-minute ride and see his team play. Uh, Mike, this has been tremendous. Thank you for so much time. I know you got family obligations. Um, this this means a lot. And uh, shoot, re- enjoy the rest of the season. I hope to see you at the finals. All right, Mike. Thanks so much for uh, for having me on. It's been it's been fun reminiscing. Yeah, and I'll be, you know what? I'm going to make sure I make your Hall of Fame night too. I think uh, you deserve that, and um, and and I'll really be excited to be there. Thank you, Mike. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. <laughs> Thanks to Hall of Fame broadcaster Mike Breen of ESPN, ABC, and MSG Network. Next time someone drags out the tired cliche about nice guys finishing last, just point to Mike Breen as proof that nice guys do finish first. Thanks to Mike Breen's friend of 30 years, our producer, Bruce Bernstein, for all he does. And thanks to our editor, Ben Wolfen, who keeps everything sounding good. Please check out all of our other Peer Hoops Media shows. Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams drops each Tuesday. Catch and Shoot 2.0 each Wednesday with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin. And Thursday, it's Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. My friend Monica McNutt. And Fridays, we've got the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. Please listen, rate, and review. And most of all, enjoy. See you next week on The Mike Wise Show. The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.